Um, Karen and I actually go back uh, for many, many years. I'll give you a little brief testimony introducing her. We actually, um, uh, uh, we both got saved in the early 80s and we met at our, uh, at our first church. It was called Unbroken Chain and it was uh, a church in midtown Manhattan of um, mainly, it was like a sort of an actor's model type fellowship. Um, and uh, um, actually had a, a, uh, um, a female pastor and she was just incredibly gifted and anointed. The meetings used to go for hours uh, on, on a Sunday morning from like nine till like two or three in the afternoon. And uh, we were kind of baptized into that uh, very beginning before Times Square Church came into being. And then as soon as that uh, uh, took place, Karen had already met her beloved and they uh, joined uh, Times Square Church. And soon after, the two of them were sent out as missionaries. I hope I'm saying it correctly, Karen, uh, from Times Square Church. <laughs> Who, who got the, uh, uh, the calling and, and the burden from the Lord to help fund the building of the synagogue that now sits on Mount Carmel, Kahilat HaKarmel, where Karen and her spiritual family worship. And, and also in the basement already is a 24-7 Korean prayer house. So they have got so much going on, um, not just congregating with people in Israel, but also connecting to the church in the nations. And uh, Karen has, uh, uh, has, has always had this beautiful worship gift and worship anointing. And, and uh, since we've done, um, since we've launched Global Family, we've kind of reconnected uh, doing the feast together. And um, so we wanna welcome you, Karen. And uh, just uh, um, um, let me pray, and then um, I'll hand it over to you to take us uh, uh, into the throne room. Hallelujah. Yeah. Father, we just, Lord, we give you this hour. First of all, it's a Shabbat. And um, uh, as, as we kick off this hour in Jerusalem, Shavuot begins. Shavuot Pentecost begins. And so we just... This is a special time for you and for us. And uh, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to uh, take us into worship with you, uh, that Yeshua and you, Father, would be lifted up. And uh, we just ask for your blessing over this time and also the word that you would go before us. And, uh, and a blessing over Karen and her congregation uh, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So wonderful to be with you today. I'm sitting here in my home in the city of Haifa on the uh, on Mount Carmel. It's a, it's a city that's built on the mountain. And um, we have just come from we had our congregational service today, um, just ushering in the holiday. And uh, the presence of the Lord was so powerful. And Grant, I was so blessed to even just uh, remember how the Lord brought us together back in the mid 80s. And um, that uh, as Jewish, both of us as Jewish people, having come into faith in Yeshua, we came into the full the full expression of, of, the, uh, of the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, and I was remembering that today because um, we need the Holy Spirit like never before. <laughs> and um, so hallelujah. Um, you know, I just, I was very blessed to hear Laura. I don't, I think she's still on, but as you were sharing about Jewish people coming to the Lord and um, that it really is the role of the, the Ruths, the Ruth Church, uh, to provoke us as Jewish people to jealousy. And I, I'm just, uh, I came to the Lord in New York City because a young Gentile young lady provoked me to jealousy with her unconditional love for me and her joy that I didn't see in my new age friends. And so I just want to encourage all of you who, who may not be Jewish, uh, let the light of the Lord shine through you. Let his love uh, just ignite a heart 
uh, heart of love for the Jewish people, uh, that that veil will come off of their hearts as it came off of Grant's, as it came off of mine. Hallelujah. And he's still working. Hallelujah. So I just want to, I want to begin with some, we're going to put the, uh, the words of the songs uh, in the chat so you can find them there. I'm going to start with a Hebrew song that uh, is actually from Psalm 8. How excellent is your name, O Lord, in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Hallelujah. Excellent is your name. 
Lord, you rose from the dead and you're seated now at the right hand of the Father. Lord, and you have sent your Holy Spirit, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, fill us today, oh God. Be glad. 
important for us during these days to enter into the rest. So busy talking to him all the time. We are beloved temple of the living God together. We make up the temple We are his body on the earth. We his presence. that on the exact same day the law was given to Israel on that mountain, that the Holy Spirit was released at Pentecost. Was it a coincidence? You know, just preparing for today, Karen and I were talking about this, about the 50 days and, you know, so it caused me to go back and really examine, you know, because I've always had the, the thought that it was exactly the 50th day that the Holy Spirit was released. It was the 50th day that the law was given. I've always had that sense, but I, I kind of, Karen, sort of, uh, she didn't challenge me, but just the discussion challenged me, and I went back. And, you know, it says that they arrived at Sinai on the first day of the month. Well, if you count back, that was actually 44 days. But, beloved, they needed to unpack. And uh, they didn't have these rolling cases that we have uh, uh, today in the modern world. They, and they had all their tents. And, and uh, it, I'm sure it took them a while to unpack. And then it says that Moses goes up to the mountain to get direction from the Lord. And then it says that Moses had to come down and give direction to the people to come into agreement. And after they come into agreement, he has to go back up to the mountain again to have a convo with the Lord. 
So I would submit to you that really between that, all of those things took place between the 44th and the 50th day. And, and remember, remember also the Lord said, the command was consecrate yourselves so that uh, the, the, you had two days of consecration. They had to wash themselves, wash their clothes. And it was on the third day, hallelujah, the third day, hallelujah. Well, with this, you, there's a whole nother message in that as far as the third day. And I'm not going to go there, but I think you know what I mean. So um, I really, I really track that that Shavuot and Pentecost were actually released on the same time. And I think numbers and dates we understand are significant to the heart of the Lord and his plans. So was it a coincidence that the Ten Commandments were given and released on that day. And you know, Exodus 19 is my favorite chapter in the Torah. This is like amazing. The, the fire of God shows up on the holy hill. There's smoke billowing all over the place. The fear of the Lord is released. And God actually speaks audibly, verbally. The, 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 the whole of Israel heard God speak the Ten Commandments. And then over the next few days, the rest of the law was given. Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Another 911. I love the 911s in scripture. I want to read it to you. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Beloved, they saw him under his feet was something. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is from scripture. You can check it out. Exodus 24, 9 to 11. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazulu. Does that push any buttons, ring any bells? Kind of does to me of the New Jerusalem, right? Right? As bright, as blue as the sky. And God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and they drank. Oh, my word. I love it. What a taste. Hearing and seeing the God of Israel. But something happened very strategic on that mountain. You know, of course, you know, uh, God had uh, told Moses to section the mountain off and, and, uh, and warn the people that if they came close, there would be severe consequences. And yes, there was a, an extreme fear of the Lord there. But something significant, beloved, happened in that moment that I think we need to gain a deeper and keener insight to. Because Paul teaches us, Paul had the revelation from the Holy Spirit that the law of God brought sin into account. And he actually writes, before the law was given, sin was not brought into account, right? So something happened to the hearts of the Israelites that day, I believe, because the law was given and God chose the smallest amount of people to face his law that a pathway could be made for mankind to return to him. And something strategic happened. I, I write about this. I, I, I write about this in detail in chapter eight of the Ezekiel generation. It's called the veil of sin. But as the law was given, look at the reaction of the Israelites. Look what they say after, the, no, 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 Moses, 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 you, you go and speak with God. No, you speak with God. Uh, we'll do what you tell us. But we don't want to go there ourselves. Something significant to, to read on between the lines. The law was released. And so sin from that moment on 
was brought into account. It's a significant moment. And I believe a transaction took place over the heart of the people of Israel, specifically the people of Israel, because they were chosen for this purpose. And a veil of sin covered their hearts. So we know that the law was given, I already mentioned it, to bring sin into account so that ultimately Yeshua could come and redeem us from sin's curse. God had to establish a pathway since we left the garden. He had to establish a pathway for us to return to him. So he gave, the law had to be given. Sin had to be brought into account, ultimately leading to death, before Yeshua could come and redeem us from it. And so the giving of the law was a significant process, and one that he only asked the Jewish people to face. But as we see, and we go into this journey deeper, and we study this more, we will begin to to get a, a deeper understanding that, that actually the Jews were chosen for this purpose, for sin to be brought into the account, not just for themselves, but for all of mankind. And of course, we know that the Jews have paid a heavy price for much that is given, much is expected. And so the law is given, sin is brought into account, and now, fast forward, we're ready for the new covenant. We're ready for the Savior to come to redeem us from the sting of sin, the sting of the law. Jeremiah prophesies to us, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. It doesn't say, beloved, this is the covenant that I made with the church. It says, this is the covenant that I made with the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will put my law. What law? The law that God spoke on Mount Sinai. So did God make everything new? As most of us have been taught, in the church that, that, the, that, that Jesus made everything totally new, which almost wiped away the old? Or I submit to you, did God take that law that was written on tablets and write it on our hearts so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we may now fulfill the law? No. God, beloved, he didn't make everything totally new. He transformed the old. He took the foundation of the law and he transformed the old into a new and a better covenant, even as the letter to the Hebrews explains to us. Let's listen to Paul in his letter to the Romans. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Mashiach, Yeshua, because through Mashiach, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Here it is. Here it is, beloved. Underline it. Romans 8, 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. God took the law and through Yeshua's sacrifice and resurrection, he was able to release the Holy Spirit and circumcise our hearts with the law of God so that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we may be able to fulfill the righteousness of God. Does that sound like something that was made totally new? So the gospel was given, and Yeshua prays this prayer in John 17, right before he goes to the cross. My prayer, I'm reading from verse 20, is not for them alone. He just was praying for his, his Jewish disciples and the Jewish believers, and now he's switching. My prayer is not for them alone, not for the Jews alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Their message, interesting. Their message, because they took the new Israel, the Jewish believers who established the church, took Yeshua out to the nations. And so Yeshua prays that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, this beautiful unity between the Father and the Son and the Son of the Father. That's the unity he's looking for us to have. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Beloved, that's where we're going. That's where we need to go in order for the glory to come. And in that unity, Yeshua prays, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here we see the one new man key, a golden key that is going to open the door to this age that is coming, this, this end time period of the church where the bride needs to become spotless and prepare herself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it was on this exact same day, Pentecost, that the church celebrates tomorrow, that the Holy Spirit was sent to circumcise our hearts with all those who would believe. And how did he do it? He circumcised us with spirit and with truth, a new body, a new temple to arise up upon the earth the living ark of God. Those who were near and those who were far to become one new humanity, one new family, and the glory, the glory, the glory of God was upon them with signs and wonders that followed. And beloved, Rome could not contend, so it merged. And now we fast forward 2,000 years later, and that very same ark is on the move again. It has 
come from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the outer parts, and now it is returning to Jerusalem. As Israel's spiritual awakening is beckoning, because this final revival and awakening cannot come to us the way that revivals have come in the church age. We can learn from them, and we should, but because Israel is awakening, there's a shift that has to take place for us to move in. But beloved, the ark is damaged. His body is divided. The enemy has sown division. And the church, the ecclesia of God, that, that living ark has been stripped of its rightful place. And its authority has been weakened. Its walls have been broken down and its gates have been burned. Does that sound familiar to you? Once again, we need to go back to the word like so many before us to gain understanding. And today I wanna to present a physical, I wanna to present to you a picture of, of the actual physical fulfillment of the giving of the law with the giving of the spirit, with another picture and a portrait for us to process. For the fulfillment of Yeshua's prayer in John 17 is with the rebuilding of the walls of love and unity so that the Father can actually release the fullness of glory. Don't we have to rebuild first? A voice is crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye, prepare ye the way for the Lord. Revelations 19.7 says, the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen has been given a garment for her to wear. There's a picture here that God is giving us that was lived out physically by Israel that now the Father wants us to live out spiritually, and it has to do with the story of Nehemiah and how he rebuilt the physical walls and how we need to rebuild the spiritual walls. And beloved, I want to tell you that in the Romans 911 project, very early on in writing this material, the Lord showed us about his two hands, the two hands of Nehemiah. And, and, he, and he spiritualized the two hands for us. Build up, build up the pathway, Isaiah says. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my children. How do we build? We can build with, with love in one hand. We move with unconditional love but we learn to fight and contend in the spirit. We don't divide and we don't argue. But I wanna tell you recently, the Lord has led me back to the book of Nehemiah to show me how much of a spiritual pattern, how much of a pattern this picture is in Nehemiah rebuilding the physical walls in how he now wants us to rebuild the spiritual walls. So if you'd allow me very quickly, I want to go through, just I want to read you some of my notes that the Lord has started to show me. And I, I'm not finished, but I want to I want to take us a little bit through so we can see the, the pattern the Lord is laying out here for us. And I want to encourage you in these next couple of weeks, go back and read Nehemiah and meditate on it and begin to recognize the spiritual characteristics that the Lord is beginning to lay out for us as a body 
to begin to rebuild love and unity. So here it is. Chapter one, Nehemiah fasts, he prays, he wept, he mourned, he believed God at his word, and he confesses and repents on behalf of the people, and his repentance, beloved, was sincere. Chapter two, he petitions the king with his plans. The favor and the anointing is already on him. He had authority from the king. We need that authority from the Lord to break through. And now we see the beginning of how the enemy awakens and how the enemy is aroused. What does Nehemiah do first? He takes a real honest look at the walls and the gates. And I think it must have depressed him. I most probably, most probably wept. The, the walls were broken down and the, and the gates were burned. And he felt in his heart that Jerusalem had been disgraced. Look up that word disgraced in the dictionary. It means to lose honor, respect, and esteem. Does that sound familiar as far as how the church is now looking in the world? And in chapter three, this is significant. Every community was responsible for rebuilding its part of the walls. This is a picture of the end time church coming into alignment and agreement and understanding that there is a pathway to the revival. Beloved, we need to get on the bridge and restore and reconnect and realign before the fullness of glory can come. Can you imagine all of the church leadership getting this same vision and looking to rebuild love and community with every church, with all the different bodies together as one? In chapter four, the attack increases. These are the these are the onslaughts that we're going to have to begin to deal with more effectively because the more we begin to touch this, this plan for the Father, the more the enemy is going to come against us. And so there's a second wave which intensifies and discouragement and disbelief is sent on the body. And Nehemiah arises and they pray in unity to God to hear us. And they take authority over the discouragement and they challenge the doubt. Everyone is committed to the cause and they all worked with all their hearts. They had unity, beloved. The enemy intensifies once again, but they prayed and now posted a guard to meet the opposition. We must. They are now tired and weary from the work, and fear begins to enter in. We must begin to overcome fear by trusting and having greater faith in God. For the Lord was fighting for them, and more importantly, with them. It takes partnership between him and us. God's not going to do everything. It's us working with him. It's earth coming into agreement with heaven and, and heaven's will being released on the earth. Hallelujah. Faith must be activated. But at this point, as the intense, as the attacks intensify, God, Nehemiah takes half of the people and just prepares them to wage war, prepares them for battle. Beloved, that's us. That's the watchman on the wall. We're being set aside for the greatest fights for the kingdom of God to come. Hallelujah. And he puts, and here he gives them the two hands, and they put the two hands into action by building with the trowel and with the sword to fight. Interesting, chapter five focuses us on the poor that we should never forget the poor. The nobles were charging interest. They were greedy. There was influences that needed to be dealt with. 
and a return to the fear of the Lord. And Nehemiah shows us an example for leadership of how he didn't take it all to himself. Can you imagine ministers of the gospel having their own jets? God forgive us. Nehemiah showed modesty and lived modestly, not taking everything from himself. And this, beloved, is a must for the priests. And the attacks continue to intensify. And now they plotted to kill him. Nehemiah's life was in danger. And the lies and the twisting we all know about, we're seeing so much of that in our modern world. But each time Nehemiah comes back and responds with a fight and with prayer. Strengthen my hands, he prays. Significant, because that's how we're going to get through this, beloved, with the hands to love and the hands to fight. Hallelujah. 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 And all throughout, Nehemiah is praying and listening and discerning. And God is leading him. And then the enemy comes again with more, starting to weaken because of Nehemiah's victory is getting close. And the nobles get attacked. They were helping, but they were selling out to the opposition. Beloved, there are leaders in the body of Messiah that we are going to need to pray for. There are leaders in the body, especially prophets in the body that have been popular and well-known that we need to lift up and pray, come into a deeper place of repentance, that they would get on the bridge like the rest of us, because there will be leadership that will not fully receive this message. Hallelujah. 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 When the wall was complete, look what the Israelites did. They separated themselves. They stood in their places and confessed their sins. But get this, beloved, and this is so significant for us in this restoration and reconnection and realignment in John 17 and, and the one you man. They confessed the sins of their ancestors. Beloved, there are residual curses over God's children from the bloodline that need to be dealt with, that the Father wants to wash with his mercy. And they came into repentance, and they stood in the gap, as we need to do for the rest of the church. Beloved, if the church is the salvific agent to call on the breath, to call on the four winds, that that breath may enter the people of Israel, then we need to start praying a whole lot more for the church to awaken and receive this message, because it is part of God's plan, and the church is still sleeping, the blinders are still there, the confusion still exists, and this knowledge and revelation is coming to us as his beloved watchman standing on the wall, giving him no rest. But what are we going to do with it? Because it's not top down. This is not a top down message. It's coming to a remnant. And here's the strategy, beloved, that's released. God uses the remnant to reach the whole. There's a reversal here of the one and the 99. God will leave us to long suffer his church. He wants none to be lost. Every time I deal with an obstacle here, the Lord whispers in my ear, love my church, love my church. The heart of our father is long suffering. There's a plan here, beloved, a purpose to raise this remnant up, to stand in the gap, to fight the battle, for our leadership and for our churches and for our communities. Beloved, the Lord is going to rebuild the walls of love and unity, and then the fullness of glory is going to be released upon his ecclesia. 
and we are going to see mountains move like never before. But beloved, 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 we have to get on the church. We have to get on. We have to get on the bridge. I just want to show you this image. The Lord is taking us deeper, beloved. It is already begun. John 17, love and unity is the pathway to the glory. But there is a bridge we have to come on. We need healing. We need mercy. We need reconciliation. The, the church is divided. It's, it's separated. The Lord needs to release his mercy and wash us and cleanse us so that we can be made ready. And so to end this today, we have been focused on a lot of grief, a lot of the things that we need to repent about. But what I love about the story about Nehemiah is, is that when the walls were complete, he said, no more grief. He said, it's time for joy. And Shavuot is about a time for joy. It's about a time of celebration. And the Israelites went out and they had a party and they celebrated and, and Nehemiah released them and the, and the Levites and the priests released them to have joy in their hearts. And I want to tell you, beloved, we have tarried. We're now, we're now uh, in the 10th day of 10 days and, and we have tarried and the Lord wants to release his joy. So I'm just going to give it back to Karen just to lead us in, into uh, one final song to give us the blessing. And, um, and uh, I just want to encourage you to, just to, just to keep contending, keep using those two hands, for we are going to see wonders like we've never seen. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Grant. That was awesome. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we want to be built together for a dwelling place in the spirit. I'm going to just sing over you the ironic blessing from number 6, 24 and 25. Hallelujah. I think you all know the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. Maybe he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, give you his shalom. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. With the worship and watch the mission. Yes. Hallelujah. This concludes our service. Let's just. Uh,